Most people cannot imagine their life without their spouse, and most people can't imagine losing someone to suicide, and almost anyone can't imagine losing their spouse to suicide, and even fewer that have been a spouse that actually lost their spouse to suicide. I am that fewer. Those are my people, my group of humans that come together for meetings full of confusion, devastation, rage, heartbreak, depression, hope, love, and a need for understanding. On Tuesdays, we walk into a brick building, sign our name to this elite roster, make our coffee, or grab that bottle of water, and search for a seat next to someone numb, sobbing, or highly medicated. In most meetings, the elders, those are now in a space to help others, will find someone just dazed from the shock so powerful you feel like you may never wake up. As everyone settles, a few late scragglers slowly walk in, and then the part you know you have to do but dread comes. Hi, I'm Brandy Tabor. On February the 15th, 2010, my husband completed suicide by gunshot wound to the chest. His name is Leslie. He was 40. Boom. Reality. Hi, my name is Lynn Meyer. On March 6th, 2010, my 14-year-old son shot himself in the head. His name was Christopher. Hi, my name is Al Marks. On March 3rd, 2010, my daughter shot her three children and husband, then completed suicide by lighting herself on fire. Her name was Mary. She was 35. This list can be from 3 to 60 on any given Tuesday. When the group is over 6, we split in multiple groups, and the night is full of 2.5 hours of sharing, shock, doubt, pain, sleeplessness, poor appetite, and what wine everyone is drinking. Trauma is a tricky thing, and most of us have no clue we're about to enter the haunted house from hell, our minds. Some of us share, some of us don't. One thing is for sure, no matter how many times you attend, it's never easy to start. Suicide is a taboo subject and everyone is curious about it. Why did he do it? Do you mind telling me what happened? Why didn't you stop it? What were the signs? And then usually followed with some crappy comment like, what a selfish asshole. I can't believe it. He had no reason. Everything seemed just fine. He must have been a little crazy, huh? Were you having marital problems? Suicide survivors live a life of getting to make others feel uncomfortable than comforting them instead of vice versa. The reason? Because even hearing the story can cause trauma. And honestly, people don't like that. For me, it's been a pretty lonely journey because in 10 years, I've met one person that was there to witness the whole thing and what feels like the fastest and slowest moment of your life. So the answers to the questions above, I'll never fully know why he did what he did. There were only two signs. He seemed very stressed about finances and he was desperately heartbroken. His ex-wife said we could have his oldest son full time and then changed her mind out of nowhere. We had been preparing for him, and it just didn't happen. It completely broke his heart. He had been through so much in his childhood and couldn't ever let some of those demons go, so he was a little withdrawn, but not anything completely out of the normal everyday family concerns. 
And as for how did it happen and why didn't you stop it? Well, that story, that story, it goes like this. It was the Saturday before Mardi Gras, which in Baton Rouge is known as Spanish Town Parade Day. It's a huge ocean of hot pink flamingos, Mardi Gras beads, and decorated floats. The king is usually a queen, and the queen can be a king. It is fondly referred to as one of the happiest days of the year in Baton Rouge. This year, it fell on the day before Valentine's Day, February 13th, 2010. I had friends in from out of state, and it was going to be a blast. That morning, my husband communicated he really wanted a day alone. We had a 22-month-old and an 8-year-old full-time, and then his precious boys 13 and 10, so we lived a very busy life. As a safety manager regionally, he traveled a lot, and the house was finally silent, something he cherished very much. We had a great morning full of hugs and conversations over coffee. I offered to stay home and he really insisted I go. I clearly felt as if everything was copacetic. Little did I know. The parade was amazing. Music was everywhere. Porch parties were cranked up and everyone's necks were draped with beads. After the parade, we ended up at a dance party and we were laughing and dancing and making memories. I had no idea the next phone call I would receive would be the last conversation I would ever have with my sweet husband. The children were tucked away with my parents, so I knew I could let loose a little with a few cocktails celebrating friendship. Our first communication was a cryptic text saying, I think this is the end. I, of course, called. He answered saying, Bran, I don't think I can do this anymore. I just want to die. I told him that that was very scary and to know everything is okay and asked what was going on and he just answered with, I just want to die. I said I'll be home very soon to hold on and he hung up and he never answered again. I jumped into my car and flew like the wind, Google-eyed down I-10. I never wished I could fly so bad. When I skidded into the driveway after what felt like the longest, fastest trip of my life, I leapt out of the car like a deer in the spring. The back of the house was U-shaped, so there were three entrances. All of them were bolted shut. I frantically beat on all doors, screaming, Please don't do this, please, he said behind our bedroom door. I want to die. I just want to die. I kept saying, No, 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 please, no. I bolted to our shed attached to the house and grabbed the hammer. After almost knocking myself out by throwing a rocking chair at the living room windows and it bouncing back, I decided to be more practical in this pure chaos. I told him I was coming in. I broke the glass panels to our bedroom door, reached through and unlocked the door. I swear I took only two steps into the biggest nightmare of my life to seeing my sweet, sweet husband in pure white with black pupils as he said, I loved you. He then pulled the nine millimeter black as coal to his chest and pulled the trigger. He'd hidden every phone except our landline in the kitchen which forced me away from him to get help. I ran a sprint so fast the Olympics would have wanted me, (laughs) dialed 911 and someone calmly spoke into the phone. May I help you? 
I said it for the first time, but it will never be the last. My husband shot himself and he's dying. Gave them the info and said, I'm leaving the phone, I have to go back. I ran back only to grab his hand, telling him, no, 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 no. Please don't leave me, please don't do this. His eyes fluttered and I knelt beside his bedside and then felt his last breath like butterfly wings on my face. Because he used hollow point bullets, the scene suddenly looked surreal, and then I heard the sheriff's voice. I ran to the kitchen to the EMS quickly and calmly made their way to the bedroom that was once full of life, but now ice cold. I can remember sliding down the kitchen cabinets, rocking in a ball. The sweetest EMT named, oh, who are we kidding, I have no clue, said the words I knew but couldn't believe while holding me on the brick floor. I'm so sorry, sweetie, we couldn't save him. I at some point called my parents during all of this. They didn't answer, but called back pretty soon. I wanted my father. I spoke calmly to my mother after the sheriff handed me the phone and said, I need to talk to dad. I remember saying, come now, Leslie is dead. It was a blur until he got there. We only lived six streets away, so it was like Flash Gordon and he was there. What took place next was exhausting. I was questioned for murder over and over in the back of a BO-filled car. When I wasn't there, I was in my dad's car with a neighbor sitting next to me asking me if I wanted Valium. Yes, that really happened. My dad standing on the phone letting his ex-wife know too. She let Leslie's so-called family know. My friend's husband showed up. And then, of course, his cousin from BRPD, not their jurisdiction, showed up to make some comment about how I shouldn't go in because it was a mess. My dad said she watched the whole thing and I'm not sure she really wants to go back in. Finally, they let me go after wheeling him out in a black body bag. I can remember thinking, he can't breathe. Unzip it by his mouth. He can't breathe. Shock is a strange thing. It allows you to see everything, process it like it isn't happening, and keeps you numb. You have no concept of time, space, or words. You nod, but are never really answering outside of autopilot. I lost time between getting to my parents' house, holding my kids, and his children and family-ish members showing up. His ex had not had the courage to tell the truth, so with As they entered the foyer asking what happened and why his gun went off while cleaning it, I hated her in that moment because after all I had been through, I had to break my extra children's heart all over again. His parents were not fans of his, which made me not fans of theirs, and that story will show up again eventually. But for now, I know what they forced me to explain and all the narcissistic things they had to say that night made me even less of a fan. The night finally ended in a medicated half-sleep next to my mother. The only thing that could ever bring me comfort in this was my mother and my faith. About 45,000 suicides occur each year in the United States, and it's rising greatly. In 2009, approximately 11.8 people per 100,000 completed today. That number has jumped to 14.2 per 100,000 that have completed suicide. 
It is also expected that during the pandemic, that number has moved at a much faster rate. It is the 10th leading cause of death, and at least 132 people died daily. It is also recorded that in 2018, there were 1.4 million attempts. This is one of the hardest things people will ever have to face. It is forever. The loss is desperate on both the victims, living and dead. The ocean of tears, the emptiness of the shadows of once was, is unbearable, and most days, months, and years, you too just want the heartache to stop. But know this. You are not alone. You are far stronger than you know. You will get through to the other side. No doubt it takes a lot of effort from a place so deep within that it has no choice but to change you forever. You see things, petty things, that will grind your nerves. You will experience anger towards those who complain about their spouses because you would give anything for yours. You can turn to substances to make you not feel for just a little bit. And though I don't judge, I just know from experience, there's much better ways. Therapy is a must. Support systems are the best. And support groups are just that. Journal. Throw ice against a fence. Use art. Exercise. Find your faith even when you are so angry at God. Allow your feelings I always say this is like a huge tree just popping up in the middle of your house. You can't cut it down because it leaves a hole no matter what. So learning to hang pictures on it, hug it, and accept it as part of your life to help others is a necessity. In time, things get different. This will never be a better situation, but you adjust. It becomes part of your story, and you begin to utilize it with words like, well, if I can get through that, I can get through anything. It will pop back up due to a song, a smell, a joke, or a place. And I promise if you face it, it will get easier to cope. You will find joy again in the memories instead of running for the hills from it to avoid the pain. You are here for a purpose. And though some days you just want to go with them, you are here to tell your story. Your story that makes you an incredibly incredibly strong woman.